clearly though, the big theme of this year, I think is gonna be around inflation. It drove through last year. We're now really only starting to see the impact of the cost of living crisis on consumer decisions. Price increases are less likely to be met with exceptions. So price increases should be done in moderation and with a view to defensibility and fairness. Well, consumers say they want um, ESG friendly products. They are willing to um, change some of their buying behavior over those products, but we're not necessarily seeing them wanting to pay more for that. Consumers may not be willing to pay for some of these changes, but if they do value them, then any price premium associated with the greener service may balance out the cost impact and also increase consumer satisfaction loyalty at the same time. You need to have the data and the insight to be able to know when I can hold my ground on price, take a reduced margin, what's that going to mean? but actually what's the benefit going to be in, in volume and will that lead to an overall kind of profit um, opportunity. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Mark Veldon, co-lead of Alex Partners Global Private Equity Practice and also Alex Partners in the UK. And I'm delighted to welcome you to another of our private equity focused expert discussions. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Alex Partners Managing Directors Andy Searle and Julian Short, who both bring decades of experience in the consumer products arena, which is the focus of our discussion today. So gents, inflation dominated the headlines for much of 2022, and we know that the state of supermarket shelves can often provide a solid barometer in relation to the impact this is having on organizations producing goods. Perhaps I'll open our discussion today by asking you, Andy, what market indicators are you seeing generally for the start of 2023, plus any that you think are likely to be particularly important from a private equity perspective? Yeah, thanks, Mark. In 2022, I guess the big issues that we were seeing was, was supply disruption of commodities coming in, but also of labour, you know, of high inflation, compressing growth margins and giving challenges in pricing. I think we see, we're seeing all of these issues continuing into 2023 in slightly different ways. Um, we're still continuing to see supply disruption, um, given all the issues in the world, um, and also the impact of, that we've seen of, of weather conditions on crop availability, um, you know, things like Brexit, etc. Um, labor demand, labor supply is also an issue, and we're seeing many clients struggling to either staff their own factories or suppliers struggling to deliver. That obviously needs continued assessment and continued monitoring. Clearly though, the big theme of this year, I think is gonna be around inflation. It drove through last year. We're now really only starting to see the impact of the cost of living crisis on consumer decisions. So it's changing consumer buying behavior. We're seeing a shift towards discounters, a shift towards private label. Um, now that could be a clear opportunity or a risk, depending on your position and which brands or spaces that you operate in. Um, we also see it um, giving a big challenge still around margin and the difference between price and, and cost. And in particular, retailers now, given the cost of living crisis, uh, increasing their pressure back down into their supply base. The expectation is that inflation will reduce a bit, not going deflationary, but reduce a bit. And so there's a challenge then if you're a manufacturer about how do you respond to that how do you manage your sales in that environment and how do you push pricing in that environment 
uh, in a thoughtful way. You mentioned sales and pricing at the end there, Andy. I'd like to bring Julian in at this point, if I may. As a revenue and growth specialist, this is clearly a space where you spend much of your time. But what successes in managing inflationary pressure did you see last year, uh, particularly from a consumer products perspective? And what do you think will be the key to success this year? Thanks, Mark. So there's clearly been a lot of pricing work done in the last year to mitigate the effects of inflation. And that's generally been helped by the fact there's been a level of acceptance in the market that prices do need to increase for companies to remain financially viable. That said, consumer pockets are becoming more and more squeezed. So going forwards, price increases are less likely to be met with exceptions. What companies will need going forwards then is to get away from blanket price increase strategies and adopt a much more surgical approach to pricing to target where price increases will be effective versus where they can actually destroy value. To do that, though, you need three main things. Firstly, accurate margin analysis based on up-to-date pricing and true cost data so the effects of inflation on individual products can be calculated. Secondly, consumer value perception. What do consumers really value and what are they willing to pay for? And thirdly, competitor insights. So what's the relative position of competitor products versus your own? It's the application of all three of these that leads to better pricing effectiveness. Thanks, Julian. Now, while the effects of inflation appear inescapable for consumer products businesses, or indeed any business, would you say the same is still true for supply chain issues, Andy? Are there any signs or conditions that private equity should be taking advantage of during this period of disruption? Yeah, I mean, I think there's three key things to, to call out, Mark. One is that as we look at um, through this period of disruption, there's obviously, you know, uh, will be increasing portfolio shifts by some of the larger players as they seek to um, reposition their portfolios and try and focus and double down in, in key areas. That means that although we're not seeing it at the moment, there's likely to be more divestments and carve-outs of a number of assets as they do that tidying up, which gives a clear opportunity to buy some assets that are being potentially unloved or underinvested in some of the larger corporates. The other big area that we're seeing is, is an opportunity really is around private label. It's very fragmented. At present, it might not have you know, significant power when it comes to negotiation with retailers or with, with branded manufacturers it's all processes for. But if there is a consumer shift towards private label. And so there's an opportunity about building up positions, building up you know, regional or, or kind of category players in that, in that private label space. Uh, and the third thing I think I'd be thinking about really is about how to look at your value chain or supply chain and really position it for the future. So thinking through, you know, how protected is it? So is it dependent on single channels, single products, single markets, single factories? You know, how engaged are you then with your entire supply chain? So how good are you at sensing what's happening with your suppliers or what's happening with your customers? How kind of agile and responsive you are to actually make changes based on those inputs? And, and you know, are you sustainable? both from an ESG perspective, which is obviously going to potentially drive value in the future or be a requirement in the future, but also will you, will you have a business um, given some of the you know, climate shifts, you know, given consumer regulation, given health regulation, et cetera. It's about making sure that you're, you're thoughtful about that space as well. That's a great point. I mean, if you look at the work that we have been doing, as you know, with both corporates and private equity, a lot of it has been focused on sustainability or alternatively cost containment. But if I think about value creation now, uh, particularly within consumer products, Julian, where would you say the opportunities are for growth 
based on your experience in relation to the companies that actually do get it right, what are the key levers they should be pulling right now? So I'd say that growth is likely to vary significantly by product type going forwards. Because as I said before, as the consumer wallet gets more and more squeezed, then essential products are likely to benefit more than discretionary ones. For the same reason, own brand or white label products are also likely to benefit as consumers seek out cheaper alternatives for a given product. That said, there are certain brands and products that consumers won't want to compromise on, so brand value and brand value perception will also be key. One other thing to consider is being wary of the perception of excessive price increases. This is rarely forgotten by a customer, so price increases should be done in moderation and with a view to defensibility and fairness. Then one final point. Depending on the financial position of the company, and particularly as inflation starts to ease, it may be possible to gain market share by not raising prices. That said, price volume equation rarely stacks up in the short term, so this should be seen as a longer term growth play. That's an interesting final point there around holding firm on pricing. And it's not one that would typically come naturally to a company nor private equity and will require a, a financial position that can absorb the full impact of high input costs and targeting the longer term upside that this strategy could create. And to, I suppose to that end, communication between Portco and private equity is going to be absolutely critical at this time, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, that's totally right, Mark. I think it comes down to really understanding the business you know, and about providing transparency. So understanding you know, the cost, what's happening with your kind of your hedging, your input contracts, how that flows through on a product and a customer lens, and then even how that flows through your, your contract. So you can have that total transparency and visibility, you know, about how inflation drives your business. And also being, you know, thoughtful and understanding the price elasticity issues as well. So as, as Julian said, you know, you need to have the data and the insight to be able to know when I can hold my ground on price, take a reduced margin. What's that going to mean? But actually, what's the benefit going to be in in volume? And will that lead to an overall kind of profit um, opportunity? So really, it's about driving that you know increased understanding. And that's not just for the connection between the private equity and the portfolio company. That's really just to maximize value in the portfolio company as a standalone as well. Understood and very helpful. Um, moving into the final important theme for our discussion, I'd like to pivot towards ESG. Now, this is something that has been really building momentum in all industries, particularly consumer products over the last few years, although I would probably argue that the emphasis has perhaps moved from S and G to E or from E to S and G over the last year or so based on the environment that we're operating in. With so many near-term challenges to be handled by leadership teams, it's vital that this long-term strategy doesn't just fall by the wayside, which, let's face it, it could do given the disruption in the overarching environment. Andy, it seems that the case for doubling down on ESG activity is clear, but how complex a task is that to achieve in practice for consumer businesses who must respond to rapidly changing consumer behaviours? Yeah, Mark, I, I think it is a big challenge. Um, and I touched on this, you know, the sustainable angles of, of supply chains earlier. And I think it's clear the imperative for this from an external, external stakeholder environment. So investors are demanding net zero positions of portfolios. You know, regulators are taking action, but as we are likely to exceed the 1.5 degree goal, you know, that's been, that's been set, 
regulation, taxation is only likely to increase, certainly in, in Europe. Um, what we're not really seeing at present is consumers, or co consumers say they want um, ESG-friendly products. They are willing to um, change some of their buying behavior over those products. But we're not necessarily seeing them wanting to pay more for that. So there's a challenge about how do you deliver ESG and how do you do it in a way that's kind of cost neutral or how do you, you take cost out to enable you to deliver a, a sustainable business model. Um, we presented at the Global Consumer Goods Forum um, Summit last year in Dublin, had the opportunity to present on a global survey we'd done about net zero in the food and beverage industry, particularly focused on scope three, which is kind of the, the carbon that's inbound from your suppliers. Um, so the carbon you don't necessarily have full control over. That's the big issue that the industry needs to face into is really how do you address that scope three uh, emissions. When we ask people about how conf confident they are in their ability of their, their suppliers to deal with that, it, it, it's incredibly low. Only 4% of retailers felt confident that their suppliers were actually going to be delivering on their commitments with regards to scope three emissions. So that's kind of a, a massive risk, but also a massive opportunity. The change in regulatory landscape and how you, you, know, how you account for things, how you, you deal with the metrics doesn't help. But there are things that you can do and should be doing in order to position for that, but also kind of take positive action. So we help clients in mapping their ESG data in understanding where it comes from, linking it to financial and operating metrics. We've got a should carbon methodology, which is about embedding carbon reduction into procurement processes. And our organization team also look at what are the capabilities you need to build out in your organization to deal with this. And some of this is obviously beneficial for ESG purposes, but it's also about making sure that you still have a business that you still have a supply base, you still have a customer base in five, 10 years, and you're not caught out by big shifts and massive disruptions that are coming. There are, I mean, that's on the E side, Mark. If I just pick out kind of on the S side, you know, modern slavery, particularly in consumer products is, and food is an issue, and particularly given some of the long supply chains in this. Again, we're working with clients to think about how do they address that modern slavery? How do we build out reporting, data sets, uh, and as Julian spoke about earlier, you know, making sure that you have fair pricing is also a clear, clear kind of S societal part of the ESG thing. So how do you make sure, particularly in consumer products, that people can afford to buy food, cleaning products, hygiene products, you know, and live healthy, fulfilling lives? That's really interesting. I think a lot of that will be very appropriate and valid for a lot of the people listening in today. Um, Julian, presumably activity to reshape supply chains more sustainably and carry this right through to an individual SKU level as much more complexity and cost to sales and pricing strategies. I mean, what are your thoughts here? So it's not necessarily true that all changes will incur significant cost impacts. So for example, if a pricing strategy encouraged larger drop sizes and therefore lower delivery frequency, that would actually lower costs as well as lowering the carbon impact. And again, back to what the consumer wants and is willing to pay for. As Andy said, consumers may not be willing to pay for some of these changes. But if they do value them, then any price premium associated with the greener service may balance out the cost impact and also increase consumer satisfaction and loyalty at the same time. It's all a balance, though, as many changes will likely come at a cost. Here, then, we use a balanced scorecard approach 
and assess each opportunity from both a financial and also ESG benefits point of view, so informed decisions can be made using both lenses. Thanks very much, Andy and Julian. It's been a pleasure chatting to you today. If you'll excuse the pun, plenty of food for thought for the year ahead. And thank you again to our audience for tuning in. I look forward to hosting you again in the next of our Alex Partners Private Equity Expert discussions. But for now, thank you very much and goodbye and have a good day. Thank you.